We give thanks and praise to the Lord God for your ministry, Katha and Jane. We appreciate that, setting our hearts before the Lord in this moment. Uh, I double-checked this week, and I'm on the right week. 
You'll remember last week uh, we learned of my foibles. Here we are as God's people. The call to worship is from Psalm 105. Let's read responsively. Give praise to the Lord. Give praise to His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. Our opening hymn of worship this morning is number 581, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You. Amen, and have a seat if you would, please. You are the answer to my prayers this week. Every time I come here and look this way to see a face, I'm reminded, I prayed this week that God would gather those that he wants to be a part of this moment. And so I consider you the answer to that prayer. I'm glad you're here. Those of you who are on site, uh, those of you who, whether by live stream or recording, let us take this moment into your time and space, I welcome you to the work that God is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
couple of things that will be going on right after this service. There'll be coffee and goodies in the library, and then I do a follow-up session, an opportunity for folks to ask questions or uh, get clarification, just any number of things. We're going to put that off to about 10.30, go 10.30 to 11 to give more time for fellowship and then head down there. After all of that, uh, this afternoon, uh, we've got a beautiful day for a picnic at Tunnel Park, barbecue, and one of the things we will do is burn the mortgage. When I came here four years ago, we were just beginning work for entrances and facilities. That's done. I am thankful beyond words for your faithfulness, for God's grace through you that as we prepare to enter into ministry in an economically uncertain time, we have one less challenge. Is that good news? It surely is for me. <laughs> um, thankful for that. Also coming up, I'll continue to talk about this, November 13th, uh, we will gather here for worship service, but we'll be using the music of Bach with the Holland Bach Society. Um, music played and sung. Uh, J.S. Bach wrote his music for a local congregation to worship God. We'll be doing that again in that way. We'll be praying, we'll be preaching, you'll be singing some as well. Fascinating, great moment. I'm looking forward to it. And then a Connect card. Uh, if you will text CONNECT, that word, to this number, you'll get a link that lets you ask us for a contact, uh, give us your email for our Thursday evening informs those sorts of things. Uh, it's a new month, and so I'm focusing on a new set of questions this time from the Heidelberg Catechism, questions 88, 89, and 90, that speak to the question of authentic repentance. I'll begin with a question, and we'll respond with an answer. Question 88, what is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is this dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholeheartedly, my God, through Christ, and the love and delight to live God by doing every kind of good work. Speaking of good work, one of the great things that God is doing, I'm going to ask Nicole and Meredith to come and tell you some about our children's ministry on Wednesday night and opportunities. So come right up, ladies. Just speak into the microphone. Oh, it's ready. Delightful. Good morning. It truly is good work on Wednesday nights. It's so good to see your faces. This is like my home service and I miss it so much in here, but my husband likes watershed and so do my kids. So that's where we attend most Sunday mornings. Um, I'm a GEMS leader. Uh, Meredith is our club coordinator. She keeps emails going out to our leaders because that's not my strong suit. My strong suit is just hanging out with kids on Wednesday nights. Um, and for our GEMS program specifically, we're just looking for really two or three more volunteers, not leaders, um, to help with our girls. We had 
46 girls, was that? 46, 46? In the, uh, yeah, we were praying for and expecting about 25. <laughs> so uh, we would love to, if God is putting it on your heart to mentor young girls, we would love to have you with us on Wednesday nights. Um, you certainly don't have to lead unless God's calling you to that. But it's just a beautiful time of supporting the girls and talking to them about who God is and who God created them to be. And it's just a fun time. These kids are a riot. They're squirmy, they're nuts, they're fun. Um, and we would just love to have you join us there to support these girls um, and just give them a firm foundation uh, in God as they grow up and um, have so many influences from the outside about who they should be. Um, we're trying to instill this foundation about who God created them to be so they can have that confidence as they grow older. Um, in our cadets program, we could use a lot of leaders, dads, uncles, grandpas, um, special guy friends. Uh, if God is putting it on your heart to lead our young men, uh, we are in desperate need of helpers and really leaders for our cadets program. How many kids do we have in cadets right now, Meredith? Same, they're over 40. It's over 40, and we have three consist, two consistent it's, leaders. They, they really need, they really need adults to be in that space. Yes, um, just for safety, but truly just to pour into these young men. Um, and then our young children's ministry, we have again a lot of kids and only a couple of adults supervising them. But most importantly, folks, it is truly just pouring God's truth into these young kids on Wednesday nights um, to just give them that firm foundation as they grow older. We would love to have you join us. Community night is awesome. Um, we enjoy gathering together for food. I did it when I was a little kid. It was, I just had so much fun hanging out with friends, getting to know my friends' parents, my friends' grandparents. Um, it's just a beautiful time of fellowship on Wednesday night and then to all come together for about an hour and a half um, after a meal uh, to share God's word with these young kids. So if God's laying that on your heart, pray about it. If you think, I'm not a teacher, I'm not equipped, I guarantee you if you say yes, the Holy Spirit will equip you and Meredith and I will encourage you, the leaders we have will encourage you and you will not regret it for a moment. So thank you so much. Happy to provide support. What we're about is building teams. They have needs with uh, meal. There's other times. And one last thing for the interview. Let me ask you, Nicole. Are, are you able to fly faster than a speeding bullet? No. I had to think about that, though. <laughs> Meredith, are you capable of leaping over a building in a single bound? No. So, like, none of you are family with Superman? No, sir. What we have here is a classic example of ordinary people with an extraordinary gospel. And because the gospel is good and powerful, it takes ordinary people, puts us together in teams to see great things going. Who would have guessed 90 kids between our boys and our girls? Is this a treat and a treasure? You don't have to be a leader or a teacher. We'll find a good place. If you've got time, we'll work with your schedule. But we're in this together, and I'm thankful that we can be with you all in that. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Go in grace. All good. Hymn number 899 is the sort of hymn I would often do in children's ministry uh, when I was involved. Let's sing that and remember this great gospel truth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Let's stand.
Amen. Let's be seated and we'll pray together and then I'll ask the kids to come forward after that prayer. Uh, let's turn to the Father. Oh Lord our God, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And we thank you for a day such as this that sings your glory. May our hearts join with that. Thank you that even in a broken world, we live with the hope of a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. So help us to be hopeful and helpful people. We pray for Heart Awake Ministries this day, the umbrella uh, church that you've called us a part of. And we pray for Watershed, where Heart Awake Deacon Luke Joyce will be preaching today. Thank you that you're calling the people of Heart Awake to rise up into ministry. Be with Pastor Aaron as he's in Ireland uh, with our Ireland mission team. We pray for Fusion that'll be meeting next door and for Pastor JB as he brings your word. Bless them and guide their ministry. And for Pastor Florencio and the people of Mission that'll meet right here in just a few hours. Thank you that the gospel is big and reaches out and draws people to the throne of grace. You've called us here in this moment, Father, a people called celebration. And you've called us to love one another, to care for one another, to welcome people as they are drawn by your spirit to seek you and to be here. We pray for your care of the people of celebration. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer uh, on two things. First, pray for those in your circle of relationships who have health needs, perhaps a diagnosis, perhaps a difficult treatment. Uh, emotional or physical, whatever it may be. I'll give you a moment of silence to pray for those with medical and health needs. And now because we've been through such a season of um, loss and grieving, I want you to, again, in your own heart and mind, let the Holy Spirit bring to mind someone to pray for who's grieving. Um, let the Spirit just guide you praying for them. Now, Father, we pray, too, that you would use us in the uniqueness of the way you've gifted us to care for those. I would encourage you to consider giving a call or praying this week for anyone you just had come to mind with health needs or grieving. Take a, another step to reach out and to be encouragement. Father, you teach us to pray for those in authority over us. And so uh, this week in our cycle, we pray for the Heart of White Council, that you would guide their decisions, their footsteps, the opportunities before them. Help them to uh, communicate to us as a three congregations, one church, uh, to hear the mind of Christ that we might step forward in mission together. Thank you that you've called us very clearly to be joining the journey together of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus. Father, we pray too for uh, the mission work, for you've called us to go, to leave our place, and to uh, make your gospel known, to make disciples. Be with our Ireland mission team, as they work with Pastor Luke and his church there in Greystones, Ireland. We pray particularly for those from Celebration that you have on that team, Brooke and Carol and Deb. Be with them and guide them. 
Father, we pray that in this tumultuous time, you would guard and guide us. Give us a great hope, whether it's the challenge of storms or the nervousness of an economy or tensions, whether local or even global. We thank you that your peace is a gift for us to receive and then to live out. Refresh us in relationship with you as we pray together as your people, just as Jesus taught us to say, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a time with our kids right now. I'm going to ask you if you'd join me up here on the front pew, and we'll have a moment. There we go. I see Miss Janet coming. She's our key director for those things. There we go. Boy, y'all can come forward dancing. Okay, here we go. Yeah, find a seat in a good place. All of us are preaching through the whole Bible through the course of these times. We're using a particular guide for that called the story. Those of you who go down to children's church afterwards, you'll be in the same Bible verses that we are here as adults. Right now, I'm anxious for you to get a chance to see those with this teaching from the video. Let's see how that goes. After Joseph and his brothers died, the population of Israelites living in Egypt exploded. It grew so large that the new Pharaoh was fearful that they would form an army against Egypt. So he made the Israelites slaves, forcing them to make bricks all day long. Then Pharaoh took it a step further. He issued a ruling that all newborn Hebrew boys should be killed. Soon after that, an Israelite woman gave birth to a son. Fearful he would be killed, she put him in a basket and placed him in the Nile River. The basket floated downstream and was found by Pharaoh's daughter. She raised the boy in Pharaoh's palace as if he were her own child. She named him Moses. Years later, Moses saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. Moses became angry and murdered the Egyptian. Fearing for his own life, Moses fled into the wilderness where he became a shepherd. One day while he was tending his flock, he saw something incredible. A bush that was engulfed in flames but was not burning up. Then Moses heard God's voice coming from the bush. God had seen the suffering of the Israelites and wanted Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. So Moses went back to Egypt and met with Pharaoh. He asked that the Israelites be given a short break from their labor to hold a festival to worship God. Pharaoh not only denied the request, but made the Israelites work even more difficult to punish them. 
But this was just the beginning. To prove that God was on Israel's side, God brought great disasters called plagues on Egypt. God made all the water of Egypt turn into blood, filled the land with frogs and insects, sent diseases to kill the Egyptian animals, gave the people terrible sores, and brought terrible thunderstorms and terrifying darkness. Then God sent one final plague. God protected the Israelites by giving instructions to each family to take a perfect sheep, sacrifice it, and put its blood on the door frames of their houses. The Israelites did what God commanded. At midnight, God moved throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son, including Pharaoh's, were killed. But God passed over every house that had blood on its doorframe. Pharaoh was so overwhelmed that he practically begged the Israelites to leave. So in the middle of the night, after living there for 430 years, the Israelites left Egypt. However, Pharaoh once again changed his mind and sent his armies after the Israelites. They chased them for miles until finally they trapped the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea. But God instructed Moses to strike the water with his walking stick. When he did, a strong wind blew across the sea, creating dry land for the Israelites to walk across. After they reached the other side, God caused the water to crash back down, drowning all of the Egyptians who were following close behind. The Israelites journeyed far away from Egypt. Along the way, God took care of them, giving them quail in the evenings and flaky bread called manna in the mornings. Many times the Israelites complained about their living conditions, but Moses would remind them of God's goodness and continue to lead them toward the land God had promised them. So that's the story that we'll be reading and studying today. Y'all will have it. Those of you who go downstairs will have that. We'll do that here. But it reminds us again and again that even in difficult times that Israel was in slavery, God hears and he rescues. That's good news. Let me pray for you and then we can head off. Father, we thank you for good news that whatever situation we find ourselves in, your grace can lead us through and into a new day with new hope. Thank you for these children. Uh, thank you that we get to love them in your gospel. Teach them now. We pray for those who will spend time with them. Be with us here in the sanctuary as we continue. Give us great hope in all good things, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said together, amen. amen. And amen. Thank you, guys. Grade three and on down can head down with Miss Janet. Uh, the rest of you head back to your families. And now we'll have some special music to set us for this sermon.
Just as Jane's breath blows over that flute, it would be my prayer today that the breath of God would blow over his word and bring it to life and beauty in our hearts and minds. Um, This week we find ourselves in chapter four. It's called Deliverance, and it's the portion of the story where they bring together Acts one through, I'm sorry, Exodus one through seven and 10 through 17. You saw parts of it here, the story of Moses calling, the encounter with the 10 plagues, all the way to the deliverance from uh, Egypt and from slavery. I'll be reading from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, because each chapter in the story is about 20 minutes worth of reading. We're kind of getting that out to you in the newsletter or if you've purchased your own copy of the story in one chapter a week. 20 minutes you can read that whole breadth of scripture and then what I'll do each Sunday is kind of focus on a particular passage and exposit that in a more typical way. This is what we're looking at today. Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 12. Let us hear the word of God. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, goodness, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. Rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land that is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, 
And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in this meeting you had with Moses, that you revealed to us of yourself. Thank you for the way Moses would later record this, the way it would be preserved across centuries in extraordinary ways, so that now your Holy Spirit would take the ink from the page, as it were, and bring light and life to our hearts and minds. Guard us and guide us. And again, that picture in my mind through the special music of the wind of the Spirit bringing something beautiful. Work that in us, Lord God. Thank you for this word and thank you for your spirit. Fill us with great joy and hope, we ask in your mighty name. Amen and amen. A quick personal word before I jump in. I might have done this earlier, but missed. Several of you have asked. Uh, my mother, as many of you know, is uh, retired on the beaches of South Carolina. Ian came on shore about 30 miles south of her. A hurricane that is barely category one is not all that strong. It was all pretty straightforward for them, no problem whatsoever. You might have seen in the news that four uh, piers were washed out to sea. Yeah, that's about right. They'll have those built by next summer. It's just part of living there. What really got hit was obviously Florida, and some of you have property and friends and people there. There's a huge difference between a barely Category 1 and an almost Category 5. And that's where you see the difference. I'm thankful that uh, my mom and family were all well, and we continue to pray and uh, watch as things uh, proceed in, in Florida. Uh, big difference between those storms. Um, are you all familiar? It, it's common knowledge for Southerners along the Atlantic and Gulf Coast. Do you, do you know the Waffle House Index? The way you judge the impact of a storm is what happened to the Waffle House. If it's serving full menu, all is good. If there's only partial menu, then you know they may be missing some supply or maybe water or electricity. If it's closed, you know you got hit. Well, 35 Waffle Houses were closed in Florida, none in South Carolina. So by the Waffle House Index, you see where the suffering is. I, did you ever get information like that from FEMA? <laughs> Y'all may laugh at us, but we know what's happening. <laughs> Again, where it hit has been terrible damage. I'm thankful my mom was okay. You know, this is a very interesting moment in the scripture. And in terms of the first five books, the Pentateuch, Genesis sets the beginnings. Exodus begins a new identity with the nation of Israel and a key leader. His name is Moses. And we see here in this, these 12 verses related to Moses' life, the first threads that will go all through the next four books. That's why I wanted to focus on these. Moses, at the age of 80, by the way, he's recruited into leadership at the age of 80. 
You don't need to wait that long. Imagine, God uses people. That's part of the message here. Moses, raised in Pharaoh's household, the best education of his time, takes things into his own hands, commits murder, escapes with his life to the desert, and life seems lost for 40 years. Then one day, whoa, lo and behold, he sees what looks like a fire in a bush and doesn't consume it. He goes over to see what's happening. God calls him by name. And then he says this in Acts, I'm sorry, I keep wanting to make this about Acts, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You see here the fear of the Lord, that God is something bigger than just everyday life for Moses. And that's lived out with a reverence. Respect might be another word. This summer, in our series on wisdom, we saw how the beginning of wisdom, it's not the completion of wisdom, but it begins with the fear of the Lord, recognizing that when you encounter the living God, not the deities of our culture or the gods of my little heart, but the living God, it's a big event. It's bigger than everyday life. You know, there used to be a variety of ways we would express respect for others. Um, In my household, we would open the door for a woman, not because she was unable, but because I was called to honor her as a, simply as a woman and to give respect. That's something needs to be built into every heart to recognize and to respect others. Often, folks would remove a hat during a prayer. Do you remember a time when people would pull to the side of the road at a funeral procession? It becomes a good time to say, you know, there's more to life than just this world. The 21st century now sees dishonoring for me to respect some other person. So much of our culture is about getting others to affirm and respect and honor for me. Moses meets the living God and very clearly it's no longer about him. Take off your shoes, show respect. You're standing on holy ground. You've encountered something bigger than you. For Moses, that's breaking in on his life. The next thing we read is that God said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, realizing this, hides his face. He's afraid to look at God because now there is an identity. In this bigger-than-you situation, the Lord makes himself known to Moses as a particular, and I'm going to use the term, spiritual person, deity, spiritual entity. The Lord is not just any old God. Moses doesn't meet what he thinks God is or who he wants God to be. God, the specific God, Yahweh, the Lord, says you were in the presence of a specific spiritual character, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the language of the Old Testament, this God identifies himself by name, the Lord. You'll see it in the English. I often point this out. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Again, we are accustomed to thinking 
the God of my choice and of my making. No, this is a moment when God breaks in. He is who he is. And we need to respect and recognize that even as Moses does here. The scripture goes on to say, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. This is a moment where we learn about God. God is aware. It might well have been surprising to Moses because it would have been easy for Moses and the people of Israel at this moment in their history to feel like the God of their fathers had forgotten them in Egypt. They had been there for 400 years since Joseph. 400 years is a long time. They had gone from family of the second in command to slaves. There is no recording, revelation, or speaking of the Lord in this time. 400 years of silence. The same period of time between Malachi and the birth of Jesus at the end of this New Testament. Think of that. 400 years of silence there. 400 years of silence now in this passage. Exodus 1.8 begins, Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. But in the midst of that, the Lord makes himself, he breaks in onto Moses' life, and he said, I am aware, I have indeed seen. I have heard the crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned for their suffering. Think of how that word would have broken into their lives. It's amazing and wonderful. When I was much younger and living in North Carolina, I remember driving sometimes through the mountains and you'd be driving along some mountain road, beautiful and sunny, and then suddenly the road would go right through a mountain. And back in those days, not all the mountain tunnels were lit. So you'd go from beautiful sunshine into a tunnel. And then if you got to the other side, there's sunshine again. I want to tell you, think of that as a way to see Israel's life. They were living in the sunshine. God speaking to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, raising up Joseph to care for them. And then into a tunnel, 400 years of darkness. I want to tell you that darkness is real. It would be easy to forget. It was always kind of helpful when you're driving through the mountains to make sure your headlights were working before you went into the tunnel. Because once you're into the tunnel, it's dark. You don't have time or situation to suddenly learn, what do I do in the dark? To stop is more dangerous than to go ahead. Friends, one of the reasons I'm committed to discipling people, I want to help you learn how to read the Scripture prayerfully and thoughtfully so that God can make Himself known to you. Learn how to pray so you can share your life and hear His voice. Share it with gospel-centered community so people are able to speak into your life and raise questions that the Holy Spirit can use. Learning how to serve, because it's in serving that we learn those gifts. The reason I'm anxious to help you get deeply rooted and discipled is because we're living in a moment of great sunshine. But I know every one of us may enter a tunnel. 
And it's best that you prepare your headlights before walking in. Some of you may find yourself in a dark tunnel now. You go through the tunnel with what you have in hand. Prepare, because those tunnels are real and hard. Now, the good news is there's sunshine on the other side. You can make it. God will get you there. But do you see the wisdom of preparing, of carrying with you? You want to make sure if you're Israel that you tell your children those stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that 400 years of silence will be hard until you get to the other end. What we see here is God is making them aware that he's been aware the whole time. When you suffer, is God aware? He is. He sees he hears. He is concerned. Friends, let that settle into your life, whatever your heartache, whatever your suffering. It's a tunnel. God may feel silent, but call to him, seek him. He sees, he hears, he is concerned. See, that's the good news about the God of the Bible. He's not indifferent. He's not abandoned us. He's not left us to, his, to our own uh, abilities. There will come a moment. It says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, that because God has seen and heard, he will come down. So I have come down. Yes, 400 years of silence. Yes, that's hard. But now, the moment declared by God, I have come down. Because of who the Lord is, that is to say, seeing and hearing and compassionate, he acts in particular ways with particular values and motivations. Here the Lord says, I have come down. The just and holy God that he is does not stand off to observe and complain, oh, those people. He comes down and he enters into our world of suffering. He does not leave us abandoned. Moses is learning this. He'll pass it on to his children, his grandchildren, his neighbors. Because one day, God will not simply come down and speak, but God having seen and heard, will come down and take on human flesh. He will live and teach. He will give his life and he will conquer death. He will call us as his children to new life. Do you see how Moses is learning something about the Lord that will one day be brought to fruition, completed, fulfilled by the ministry of the Lord Jesus? That's why I say all the time, the Old Testament is to help us understand the good news of the life and ministry of Jesus. He comes down. He enters our world of suffering. This good God has heard and seen. He comes down, and he does that with a particular purpose. He comes to rescue. I've come down to rescue you, he says. You might as well put in parentheses, I've not come down to scold you. I've not come down to teach you so that you can rescue yourselves. Imagine sending a lifeguard out to a drowning person. Uh, here's an instructional DVD on how to swim. We'll see you. We don't need education. We need rescue. 
rescue will prepare us to be equipped with, ever, with whatever God has for us, but our hearts need rescue. The Lord shows himself to Moses and to us. He is one who hears and one who comes down, but he comes for the purpose of rescue. And this rescue will have two distinct kind of steps to it. It's interesting to see it in the scripture here in uh, verse 8. It says that he came down to rescue us from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of that land. The story here in Exodus plays this out, the bringing them out, the bringing them out from one place and out from that land. To be rescued from God is going to mean a leaving of some things and an entering in to new things. The first thing Israel would have to leave is their old gods, the gods of Egypt. Friends, remember, when we read the 10 plagues, that's not just God kind of throwing firecrackers onto planet Earth. Watch this, boom. Each one of those plagues represents Yahweh dealing with one of the deities, one of the idols worshiped by Egypt. Idol number one, crushed. Idol number two, crushed. Idol number three, crushed. That's spiritual warfare. Now, please don't go prideful 20th century on me. It's so easy for us to say, oh, those primitive people worshiping frogs in the Nile. Let me suggest something to you. If we were to get in a time machine, Doc Brown would lend us his DeLorean, and we were to pick them up from that time and bring them back, they would look at us as incredulous as we look at them. And they'd say, so, so what is this deal about worshiping Spartans and Wolverines? See, I can be snarky about that because the New Orleans Saints are playing so poorly, nobody's even watching them. But let me get a little closer to home. You know one of the most religious channels on TV? HGTV. At the end of every show, folks are walking in and going, oh my God. Oh, you worship your living room? Oh my God, your kitchen too? Where do we find our security, our joy, our hope? Oh, I understand being thankful to great decorating and craftsmanship. But ask yourself, where do you find your hope? Very seriously, what do you find security in? How nervous are you to watch the stock market? Sure, I'm going to have to put off retirement, but that's not my hope. I don't want to be embarrassed, so I won't step out. That fear of embarrassment, is that driving you? We will never be rescued from our own personal Egypt if we're held captive to anger or to unforgiveness or to fear. The Lord can rescue you and bring you out of that land. That's the good news of rescue. Second, Israel will need to leave their geography. They'll have to get out of destructive places into productive spaces. I remember when I was discipling um, recovering alcoholics and going to AA meetings, that often it was a key step for them to alter their plans after work. I'm not going to go hang out with my friends because that's the place of temptation. Maybe you need to lock off websites on your computer. 
Now, again, you can put a filter on the computer and not deal with the issue of your heart, but you may be better able to deal with your heart if you take a step and change geography. You may need to leave security. That was part of where um, Israel had to go. They had to leave the security of knowing where their food was coming from. In Exodus 16 and 17, Israel cries out for food and for water. They're accustomed to producing their own. Let me push you on this. They're accustomed to producing on their own for providing themselves. You might call that attitude of the heart taking care of ourselves or not being a burden. But they're going to have to leave the old security of providing for themselves and learn to trust God daily. It's as if they need to learn to pray, give us this day our daily bread. See, God is teaching Israel something he wants each one of us to know. Have you ever been in a circumstance where tomorrow's meal is in question? I laugh about pork chop faith here in the suburbs. Give us this day our daily bread, but you know, I got a real deal on pork chops at the Walmart, so I've got those in the refrigerator in case you don't come through. Friends, we can be generous today because we know who will provide for us tomorrow. Israel is going to need to die to an old identity, to an old land, and to an old life. It's like we recited in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to the life of the new. The Lord's purpose in coming down to rescue is to do that by bringing them out but he also will bring them in to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God's good purpose for us is to bring us out of our brokenness, to bring us out of our old self-trusting ways into a new land of grace and of hope. That means we'll be able to rise to a new identity, to an identity of generosity and kindness and humility, those fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish we had more time. I may touch it earlier because we'll come again and again to this. You may notice in the reading of this text that for God to bring them into a land, he will need to displace the people who are already there. Israel moving in means the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the others will be moved out. I want to tell you something. It's become increasingly common. If you've read, they call themselves the new atheists, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. They'll look at that and they'll say, oh, the God of the Old Testament, he approves genocide. Have you heard that? God in the Old Testament, genocide, how morally inferior God is. I want to tell you, though there will be death in this displacement, let's be honest about that. Genocide is not predicted 400 years to wait. Remember, it's in Genesis 15, 16 that God says, you will enter into that land, but not now, because the sin of those people has not reached its full measure. 400 years earlier, God says, be prepared, you're going to go in there, but not now. There's a wickedness, there's a timing, there's something more there. I think 
what's more difficult for modern people to understand is not that what's happening here with the moving into the land is genocide. I think it's the threat of a God who enters into history and judges sin. Because that is what the story is about. It's about a people of such sin that God's judgment will displace them. And you see, the truth that I learned in the gospel is this, that I deserve exactly what the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites needed, had earned, deserved. I deserve. It's not those bad people make way for me. It's sin has its consequence, including for me. Friends, the gospel understands that there's a just and holy God and that sin has consequence, but the gospel doesn't stand there, stop there. It goes on to say, God himself will be both just in judging sin and justifier in taking it upon himself. I see in the Canaanites what I deserve. I see at the cross God's way and opportunity and option. That's the good news, friends. The judgment I deserve has been taken upon one who, like a lamb slain, there's the Passover, will take upon himself the sin of the world. And so it's marvelous that it ends with this statement, Exodus 3.10, I am sending you and I will be with you, he says, because there's coming a time in just a few centuries. God has a very different approach to time than I do. <laughs> but Jesus himself, who would be aware and responsive to the brokenness and the cry of broken people, who would come down and who would enter in, who would give his life, taking our judgment upon himself, offering his life for ours. Jesus would be raised to, do, to new life. And then he would speak to his disciples on a mountain then in this church right now. And he would say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples and I will be with you to the very end of the age. Just as God said from the bush to Moses, go and I will be with you. The Lord Jesus Christ, resurrected, has said, go and make disciples, and I will be with you. The calling of Moses is not simply an event in distant history, but it points us to something true and perfect and greater. The gospel of God's grace that sends us into the world. Let's join him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your great and marvelous love. Fill us with hope. Help us to see that when we encounter you, we don't simply deal with the expression of our own desires, the projection of our own ideas or thinking. But to meet the living God is something bigger than ourselves. And the first thing we see, like Moses, is that you are a God who sees and hears, a God of compassion, a God who will come down. And even more than Moses could imagine, you, Lord Jesus, came down and took on human flesh. 
that you took the just punishment for our sin upon yourself, that you might give to us the immeasurable measure of your grace. Having received that through faith, you have now sent us, just as you sent Moses, so you have sent your people. Just as you said, go to Pharaoh and speak to him, to Moses, you have said to us, go into all the world, make disciples. Fill us with a great hope to know you and trust you, God. Thank you that you lead us, that you guide us, and that you are our hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen and amen. Close with a simple hymn, He Leadeth Me. Uh, it's number 440. I'll ask you to stand and just follow the words on the uh, screen. Of the voice of God's people. The psalmist says that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of his people. How special in a moment like that. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? and amen.